0: There are any Democrats out there listening. I repeat, if there are any Democrats in Cedric County listening right now, this message is for you. Today is September 26, 2017. This is the first episode of the Blue Island Podcast, brought to you by the Cedric County Democratic Party. I'm your host, Gabriel Costilla. And if you're out there, if you're listening right now, we've got something to say. So stay tuned. Welcome. So this is the Blue Island podcast. And if you're wondering what that is, let me explain. So as you probably know, I am the vice chair of the Democratic Party, and together with the rest of the executive committee, we have been, you know, pulling out our hair trying to figure out what we can do to better help the Democratic Party here in Cedric County, and we came up with this idea to have this podcast to disseminate information, to propel change, to do whatever we can, Um, and I'm hoping that this is going to be a real positive step forward for the party. And I'm hoping that you'll join me and you can give me feedback. Um, You can always message me or anything like that. Um, Every episode, we will have a different guest. We'll talk about politics. We'll talk national. We'll talk state. And we will, of course, talk local. We will let you know what is going on in Cedric County, how you can get involved, how you can step up. And if you're wondering, the Blue Island part comes from... Um, if you remember, we had a special election recently, and I distinctly remember watching the votes coming in, and I could see Sedgwick County. It was blue. It was very much blue, but it was in a sea of red. It was surrounded by red uh, here in the fourth district. And you know, and I have friends from you know around the country that comment to me like, "How can you? How can you? Can you? How can you be a Democrat in Kansas?" And, you know, I think it's because, you know, I live in this island. I live in this blue island that is Sedgwick County. I'm surrounded by great people. And I think that's really something awesome and something that we should applaud. Now, of course, I wish I wasn't on an island. I wish that we could, you know, turn the rest of the area, the rest of the 4th District, blue as well. But, you know, in the meantime, I think it's important that we remain strong and uh, like kind of a beacon of hope. For other Democrats in the area, and really just try to step up our efforts and to do more for Kansans. So, first up, I am going to give you a little disclaimer. Um, I am am by no means a professional podcaster or anything like that. I um, am coming to this incredibly new. I I don't know what I'm doing, is what I'm trying to say. And I'm going to make mistakes, and I think, I hope you, for, you will forgive me. Okay, so now I'm going to go ahead and let you know what's going on, what you can get involved with um, for this month and also into October as far as what I have. You can always get this information on our calendar at cedriccountydemocrats.com or you can go to our Facebook page, and that's literally what I'm going to be doing today. I'm just going to be... Sharing with you what's on there, um, so that way you know. Maybe you're not a Facebook person, or maybe you're like me, and you get a ton of Facebook invites, and it's really hard to keep track of what you should be going to and what you shouldn't be going to. So, um, on the 29th, uh, that's this Friday at 1130, we will be having our monthly Warner More Luncheon, and uh, you're welcome to come. I, of course, will not be there, because I will be working at school, um, that night at 7 p.m., we have our Cedric County Welcome Party for DemoFest. If you don't know a DemoFest, it's it's a once a time one. We do this once a year, and it is a big deal. Um, it's a big fundraiser for the party. Get to meet a bunch of people from across the state. And on Friday, we're gonna have music. We're gonna have a bar, and I'm gonna be there with my podcast. And hopefully, you can come by and come see me, and I'll record you for a little bit. And then on Saturday, we'll have um, the actual Demo Fest, which will have um, you know banquet and different caucuses will be meeting. And, of course, our guest speaker will be none other than Keith Ellison, the deputy uh, of the DNC and a big Bernie person for all my Bernie people out there. Um, on October 12th, uh, there's a Cedric County Democratic Women Monthly Meeting. October 17th is the last day to register to vote. But surely everybody listening, to this is already registered, surely. But if you've already registered to vote, get out there and register 10 more people. Um, October 23rd is the Southside Democrat September meeting. And that'll be held at the Parsnippity Cafe. If you didn't get a chance to go yesterday, then just put this in your calendar. October 23rd, again, for the Southside Democrats. Um, October 24th, the next day, on Tuesday at 6, is the Cedric County Democratic Party Central Committee meeting. If you are a precinct committee person, then you're going to have to make sure you get there. We're going to have some interesting stuff. Well, I'm going to, my West High Young Dems are going to get recognized as an official, uh, Young Dems chapter here in Wichita. I'm super happy about that. And we'll have a bunch of other exciting things to do on that day. Um, Of course, November 7th is a general election, and as far as party stuff, I will stop there, Um, though you know that it is important to get out and vote for school board and municipalities. Um, But there are other things. Um, There's a lot of things in my my Facebook feed, and it's kind of hard to pick and choose on which ones are the most important ones and which ones I should tell you to go to. So really what I'd like to do is if you think your issue is really important or you'd really like people to get out there, then send me an email and, and I will be sure to get that out there. And and Lori Lawrence, shout out to Lori Lawrence. If you don't know her, you should know her. She's awesome. Uh, she actually already sent me an email. Um, wanting to let you guys know that on Monday, October 9th at 7 p.m., the First Unitarian Universalist Church is holding an event. It's called Big Pharma Market Failure Explores the Problem of Extreme Drug Prices in the U.S. and how drug cost impacts on the public on businesses and the overall US economy. And she thinks that it'd be great for us to get out there because healthcare is a huge issue right now and hopefully, you know, Trump care goes down. I just saw today that um that Collins is voting against it, so that's good. Um and let's see. I think that's going to just about do it. Uh yeah. If if you want to make sure that I talk about your event specifically, be sure to uh, give me an email and I will be sure to talk about it in the podcast. Otherwise, it's it's really just me going through my invites on Facebook, going through what we have on the calendar for Sedgwick County and just letting you know what, what I know. And But so if you want me to know more, send me an email, like I said, and you can send me that email, email at g dot 7 at gmailcom And that's uh, just my personal email, g dot 7 at gmailcom I don't know if I should be giving that out. But either way, send me that, and I will be sure to um, get back uh, make sure I get that in the podcast. Okay, so before we get to our guest speaker, I just want to do one really quick little important thing, and that is to, of course, beg you for money. Um, you know, this is a volunteer thing. Nobody's paying me to do this, but it's really important um, that we can, you know, fund this party so that we can actually, you know, win elections. That's what we're about. That's what we're all about. So if you're as interested and passionate about this as me, please, I'd encourage you to go to uh, secure.actblue.com forward slash donate. Forward slash podcast. Again, that's a com forward slash donate forward slash podcast. And I'd encourage you to, you know, be a recurring donor, $5, $10, or if you're crazy, throw in, you know, $100. Um, this podcast is called the Blue Island Podcast because, yeah, Sedgwick County is blue. And I would just love to keep it that way. And the only way we're going to be able to do that. Is if you you know step up and and just make a small recurring donation, and uh, and and if you go to this link, you know it's going to show the rest of the executive committee that this is something that's worthwhile, that this podcast is something that you want, that you like it, and you can show your support again by going to secure.actblue.com/donate/podcast. forward Okay, so for our next section, we'll have our special guest, uh, immigrant activist, Claudia Amaro. She lives here in Wichita, right here in Sedgwick County, and I think it's really great that we have her here because of every all the pressing issues that we got going on with immigrants in this country, especially in relation to um, DACA and the Dreamers, and she has tons of experience and she's incredibly knowledgeable, and I think it's great that we get to hear from her. So without further ado, um, Claudia, would you go ahead and do me the honors and introduce yourself and just tell us about yourself?
1: Hello, my name is Claudia Amaro. Um, I've been an activist in the Latino community for more than four years now. Uh, I, I'm an immigrant. I'm still undocumented. And it's um, it's not hard to say it, but it's hard to describe it because... I think I'm the perfect example of the uh, system that is broke, you know? Mm. Uh, because I do have a work permit. I came in legally. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm allowed to be here right now, but I'm still undocumented. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to describe. And you're allowed, hard you're to, allowed
0: understand. to be here because of DACA? No, right, I, yeah? I,
1: don't, I don't have DACA. It's something oh, okay. similar to DACA. Something, what is it? Yeah, it's, I, I'm actually asking for asylum. Oh, okay. And also, I mean, with the DACA thing... Um, I can identify myself in this social spectrum as a dreamer, mm-hmm. but I'm also representing all those dreamers that didn't get into DACA because of something really small. You know, yeah. I came in here as a child. It's not an easy thing
0: to right. get accepted into DACA.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of people that were out of it just because of the age, mm-hmm. or just because they were here a day after they were told. You know, or that they opened the the program. Mm-hmm. So, there, I mean, there's a lot of people that got were out of it, and I can I, I, I can represent those as well. Yeah. You know, just because of age or because of any reasons that a lot of... Like, it, I don't think it was fair, because I understand that um 800,000 Dreamers got DACA, but there's way more that came in as child. Some of them came in as three years old, eight years old, and they didn't
0: qualify for it. Mm-hmm. So well, um I think it's interesting that 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 uh you know you came here first on on a work visa, because I know that um like statistically uh most immigrants that are here that are undocumented that's what happened mm-hmm. they didn't like come across the border you know and and like sneak across the border like I don't know that um the like movies let us believe most of most undocumented immigrants came here from like with a work visa right. and then they just overextended or whatever maybe
1: yeah i can explain to you because i came in twice and both, uh, both the first time i came in with a visa second time i came in through a civil disobedience so i can explain that a little explain bit to yeah, explain to me yeah so <clears throat> when i was uh, 10 years old my father was killed in mexico and we had a visa because we live at the border we live in tijuana i'm from tijuana uh and a couple years later my mom just uh was afraid. You know, the people who killed my father were like continued like to call and say that they were gonna kill the whole family. My mom was pretty young. She was thirty years old with four girls. So she decided to come to the US just for a better life for her daughters and and then for her to work and have some food on the table for us. So I came into the US when I was almost twelve years old. I'm the oldest of four sisters. We went to Colorado. I graduated from high school there, and you know, over the time, you thanks to your teachers. I think teachers are very important uh, because yeah, that- they, yeah, they <laughs> do. I mean, for us, for immigrants, they're actually the ones that show us what America is, you know, and they mm. they make us feel welcome. So um, over the years, you. Start acting and becoming like an American. I mean, mm-hmm. you I mean, when you come young, it's just like, you know, you continue to grow up and learn things uh, the American way. And you become an American and you stop thinking, like, on my case, I knew I came in with a visa and we overstayed it. Um I didn't realize how bad that was until I graduated from high school and I wanted to go to university and mm-hmm. I couldn't. It was back in the 80s, and we didn't have in-state tuition, nothing. I mean, we weren't allowed. If we didn't have a green card. We weren't allowed to go to university. <clears throat> so it was very hard for us, for me, uh, because one of my dreams was going to university, and I had really good grades in high school, and I just couldn't go. I visited several universities, and the first thing they asked was your green card. And then I overcame and um, started working. We... Um, I went through different schools, like technical schools, and just to learn. I always liked school. And um, eventually we moved to Kansas. And Kansas is and was, back in the 90s, a very welcoming state. You mm-hmm. know, we just... When when I came to Kansas, I just made Kansas my home. Mm-hmm. Um, I became independent here. You know, I started driving. I fell in love here. My son was born here. And then... I just forgot about being undocumented. You know, we continued with our life. My husband opened a business. Then in 2005, uh, my husband was arrested for not having a driver's license, Mm -hmm. and then he was turning into immigration officers. I went to help him, uh, and I was arrested as well. So both of us got arrested. I was let out the next morning just because I had more ties. You know, I spoke English. I was acting more like a more American. I had a lot more family who were U.S. citizens, so... It wasn't a big problem for me, but it was for my husband. So we were fighting for him for a whole year to stay here. Um, meanwhile, I was waiting for a court date that I never learned about it. Uh, the attorney that we hired just got all the money out of us. When he realized that I sold everything and we didn't have any more money, he let my husband go. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it was at the beginning of 2006, I was desperate with my son. He was only five, uh, almost six years old. And I decided to go back to Mexico with him, knowing that, you know, I came in when I was 11. I didn't know how it was going to be a, be an adult there. It was it was hard. I didn't have any immediate family in Mexico. All my family were here in Kansas, so we um, I went with my son. It was 2006. It was election times in, Me- in Mexico, so we were undocumented in Mexico for a whole year. So
0: You were undocumented in yeah, Mexico.
1: Yeah, my <laughs> my husband and I because we didn't have. And I like a like a recent ID with a picture,
0: because
1: mm-hmm. all I had was my elementary school papers, and they didn't accept that as an official mm-hmm. ID. So for a whole year we were looking and looking and looking for ways to get a passport or a, a, a like an ID in Mexico, and um, we finally over a year after the elections we were able to get an ID, and uh, it was it was really really hard. And then with the new president in Mexico, the violence came really hard Mm -hmm. and especially the the city that we chose to go it was like very violent very Mm -hmm. violent like my son and i used to see betty hanging from bridges um shootings every night um and it got just worse and worse and in 2012 uh, my husband was kidnapped by two police officers Mm -hmm. for ransom and i was just desperate so I start mm-hmm. writing to the U.S. and saying, I want to go home, I want to go home. You know, I certified myself as a teacher in Mexico, but it was really hard. It was my husband couldn't get a job. My son was bullied for being American. My ha- my son uh, fell into a very deep depression mm-hmm. as a child, and we had to take him to therapy, and it was really hard. He was um, attacked physically, emotionally, in, in any single way. Um, so I start um, writing um My story and asking for help to the U.S. because I was like, I want to go home. It was 2013, and uh, it was all the talk about immigration reform in the U.S., and I was getting so desperate Mm because I'm like, I want to be there. I want to go home. Mm -hmm. Um, Finally, um, I found that I wasn't the only one going through this because I felt in Mexico very alienated. You know, they call us names. They didn't understand why we... We love two the countries. They didn't understand why we lived so many years in the U.S. and we were back in Mexico. It was really hard. And I found another group of people who also grew up in the U.S. but went back to Mexico uh, for different reasons. Some of them were deported. Some of them. So uh, an American friend that has been living in Mexico for the last ten years, she put all these stories together and came up with a book, and asked us if we wanted to participate on it. And I was. I think all of us, um, she, uh, she got like 26 stories, and all of us were so into speaking up because we feel like nobody in Mexico understood us, and we feel like the U.S. have forgotten about us. And my and my part of the story in the book, I said, I mentioned something like, you know, I feel like I have no past here in Mexico, but I don't see any future either. So mm-hmm. it was really, really tough. So um, at What's the same the name time, of the, book? the book is called Los Otros Dreamers.
0: Los Otros Dreamers? Los Otros.
1: Because, you know, the Dreamer uh, theme or subject was so popular here in the U.S. And everybody forgot about the ones that were deported or were out of it. And we still feel Americans, you Mm know. So we were called like Los Otros. The ones nobody talk about. The ones nobody cares about. You Mm -hmm. know, none of the governments accept those. uh, uh, And I think that's a really waste of Everything because you know they they are bilingual, binational. They understand. They have a more global vision, and and none of the governments accept them. So it's it, it was really hard. So finally, <clears throat> I also sent my story to the U.S. and I and a Dreamers group in the U.S. read my story and called me and they asked me. They said, Claudia, do you want to come home? And I'm like, yes. And they said, "Okay, um, we're planning a civil so, something that they an action that people call a civil disobedience." Said we're gonna have attorneys, we're gonna prepare for it. Are you willing to go through this? And I'm like, "Yes, I want to go." <laughs> it was people that I didn't know. Uh, I talked to my husband and my mom, the most important people, and of course my son, but he, he was little, he was only 13 years old. And um, they were a little bit afraid because they are like, you're going to go to the border. You don't know pe- these people. What's going to happen? And I'm like, I don't know, but this is like my, the only way I can find to go back home. Um, so they asked me to bring my son with me. Um, my, my husband was going to wait just because he wasn't a dreamer. He, he lived here since he was 19 years old, but he didn't get into that. And at that time, uh, you know, the sympathy for the dreamers is bigger than any other immigrant. So... I went to the border. Uh, we prepared, like, back in the civil rights movements, so, like, the way I used to watch on the movies, like, you know, uh, when Martin Luther King were preparing, people were preparing for sit ins. We prepared ourselves, again, physically, um, psychologically. Uh, we were, like, pretending that they were gonna put the handcuffs on us and how we were gonna act, and then that we knew it was gonna be media. Um, It was very intense. It was like uh, until 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, talking about it, learning what was going to happen to us. So it was um, eight of us. Six of us had been, uh, five of us had been either deported or decided, like myself, to go back to Mexico for different reasons. And three of the other dreamers, they were living in the U.S., and they self-deported themselves in order to bring us back. Mm-hmm. So the action was oh, called wow. the the action was called bring them home, and those three dreamers who sacrificed their lives so basically because they they didn't know if they were gonna make it. You know, it was a civil disobedience. They self deport. Uh, so on, on the summer of two thousand thirteen, the eight of us turned um, into the immigration um, border patrol, and we were dressed with our caps and gowns as a symbol that we graduated from high schools and and some of us college in the U.S. And we asked President Obama to let us come back home. And one of our messages was also to expose what the government had been lying lying for years saying that they were only deporting criminals. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the case. You know, they were deporting dreamers, um, young kids, people with no criminal background. So we, uh, we asked them to let us come back home. We were detained and we knew we were going to be detained we were put on one of those what they call ice boxes you know the, the those bins that they put the temperature for you to freeze mm-hmm. it was and we were prepared we had like uh um a lot of clothes like layers of clothes and and it was still really cold mm-hmm. it was really cold and we used to tell the officers like please can you turn that up can you warm it up a little bit and they just turned the music uh, like the volume up and start mm-hmm. singing and
0: laughing and where was it at
1: that was in Nogales, Arizona.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, so Arizona
0: we, is not a very I know. friendly place. Yeah. I
1: know, but you know, I was amazed about the community because it was like 600 people receiving us on the other side and, and, and screaming and, and cheering, like, let mm-hmm. us come back home. We had uh, priests and pastors from different religions, churches, came to the border to cross with us. I mean, we had a lot of support. It was Amazing. I mean, I and another thing that I think I mentioned on the book is I on that on that with that action I learned like the maybe the more the 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 meanest side of the human being, but at the same time it was like the the people with the most love and people that you didn't, that I never knew before, and they opened. For example, my mom went to Nogales to to be with me and also to get my son because I knew my son is a U.S. citizen, so he was going to be allowed mm-hmm. to come in. So my mom went with him and they stay in Tucson the whole time i was in detention and and they they stay with people that they never met before they opened the doors for them Mm -hmm. they i mean somebody even took my son to disneyland you know (laughs) during that time while i was in detention i was in detention for we were in detention for 17 days like i said we were prepared so inside detention we did a lot uh stuff we did we declared ourselves in hunger strike um we talked to the women inside, and we exposed to the media all of the things that were happening inside. was horrible things. Uh, the food that they gave, how they detained, because this is only an immigration detention center. It's not like a jail. So what they do is, and they're private. So we learned that, you know, that government pays over $200 for them per night, per immigrant. And from that money, the private prisons, they don't pay a lot of money, um... Like, they don't spend a lot of money except for the guards because all the work done inside is done by the immigrants, but mm-hmm. the detainees, you know, they, they clean, they cook, they... So we exposed everything that was happening inside. Um, they weren't very happy about it, so we were punished a couple times, um, but like I said, the media was all the time there, so they were... At the end, they, they decided that uh, we went through the process for asylum. First, we were asking for a humanitarian parole... Just because we grew up in the U.S. and asking the government, they never say yes, they never say no. But my attorney, just in order to make it faster, she moved into uh, requesting asylum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we understand that for Mexicans uh, to win an asylum case in the United States is only one percent, mm-hmm. but we were fighting and we had a strategy, uh, and most of all, we were we wanted to expose what, what was happening, uh, you know, in the U.S. to immigrants. What the government was saying and what was happening inside detention centers. Mm -hmm. So um, we, I mean, honestly, the love that we received during those 17 days was it's undescribable. Like I, we used to receive letters from everywhere in the country, like six, seven, eight letters from people writing us every day, and that really make us stronger because it's hard to be there, you know. No matter what, I mean, you are preparing everything. It's hard to see what happens. Inside, what they do to those women. Um, we learn a lot of stories from women from Central America that were heartbreaking. And after we got released, um, after those 17 days, we helped a lot of women get out of the detention, people from Nicaragua, from Guatemala. And then we were uh, released to go um, over 30 congressmen, most of them Democrats, and um, wrote a letter to President Obama requesting for a release. Mm -hmm. And then we, like I said, later we were released. My mom and my son stayed the whole time in Tucson. And uh, they were visiting congressmen. They were traveling to California, Arizona, to visit congressmen, visit journalists, and everybody just asking for a release. And all our parents, you know, from the other kids were also in their own states, like, there were um, Lulu from Chicago, uh, Lisbeth from Los Angeles. You know, their parents were working with their congressman. Of course, I I knew in Kansas I was not going to get the support. And people tried to contact, you know, mm-hmm. the congressman here, but of course we didn't get any support. Do um, you know who it was? It was Pompeo, Mike Pompeo. Okay. And uh, so after, um, like I said, 17 days, I was released. I came home and... Since then, I started to be an activist. You know, I was trained by my attorney. I was trained by the organization who brought me back, which is uh, NIJA, It's National Immigrant Youth Alliance. Uh, I was trained to stop deportation, to learn the process, and to help my community into stopping deportations. Um, a month after I was released, um, I was looking for ways to bring my husband back. And my attorney and I came up with that decision. We talked to my husband, and he did exactly the same thing I did a month Later, in September of 2013, he turned himself at the border with my attorney, and at this time, my attorney decided that he didn't, she didn't wanted it to make it public, so it was gonna be just through legal means. Um, just because he wasn't considered a dreamer,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: he was doing it by himself, and he had he was the one that was banned for 10 years with the deportation for the use of a social security number to work, which was proved... I mean, it was never proved that he belonged to anybody. He didn't commit any fraud. He just worked. Um, So he he turned himself at the border on September 22 of 2013, and he had to stay in detention for two years and three months.
0: Two years and three months. Two years and three months.
1: So those two years and three months, I was fighting for him Mm -hmm. to bring him back home. Um, And that's how I've been a very fierce activist, you know, first for my family and then uh, just to bring a little bit of light to our community. I mean, not myself, but I do have a spotlight on me because of the action I do, so I try to share that with my community Mm -hmm. and and help as much as I can. So with that action, I came in legally. Mm -hmm. I mean, like it or not, many people criticize us, criticize that action that we did, but... uh, I came in legally, so I'm allowed to have a work permit until my case is continued. We continue to go to courts. It's a very, asylum is a very long process. It's like five, mm-hmm. six, seven years. Mm-hmm. And especially nowadays that we're, you know, there's not very many judges and all the things going on. So it takes a long time. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we are allowed to work. and But like, again, I said, a lot of people, a lot of politicians talk about... Uh, Illegal aliens, you know—that's how mm-hmm. they put it. But they really don't understand um, that there's all kind of Im- uh, undocumented immigrants. Mm-hmm. You know, DACA are undocumented. Mm-hmm. I am undocumented still. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do have a work permit, but I'm not. I don't have a green card. I'm not. I don't, I'm. We don't get any anything from the government. I mean, I, I'm now attending college, and I don't even get in state tuition.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, so it's I don't give you in state tuition. They don't. Right. so um i want to talk big national stuff and Mm -hmm. then bring it down to kansas and then just bring it down to like wichita Cedar county and everything so on the national level um what do you i mean what are your thoughts what do you think needs to change obviously i imagine you're not a huge fan of trump (laughs) 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 but i mean what what would what do you think needs to change
1: nationally it's really hard because lately we uh, most of us, most of the activists that I have, uh, friends that I have in other states, we're really focusing locally. Um, nationally, I think some of the, uh, I mean, definitely, we have to uh, start voting more <laughs> and learning more about who are the ones making the laws. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And he's to me, he's just a character, mm-hmm. you know there's a lot more people that we don't know about and we don't talk about, and they're mm-hmm. the ones writing the laws, yeah, so I think that's one of the things that we have to start changing,
0: yeah, Donald Trump is just a scapegoat kind yeah. of thing, and then I mean, so as far as like things we could change, like what do you advocate for? Do you advocate for like free and open borders or something in between? That's a very interesting topic because. A lot of people, even
1: Latinos, even we say, well, okay, yeah, just give us something and close the borders. We don't care. I think it's very important to talk about history. Back in the 80s, when the... Actually, the, 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 I mean, we already had a wall. And back in the 80s, when we had open borders, and when they had the program Braceros, people were coming for the program, going back home. A lot of, a lot of us immigrants... And I can tell you that because I remember when we came in, my mom told me, and, and this is the conversation I have with a lot of immigrants, a lot of people want to come here, work two, three years, build their home in Mexico, and go back. Mm-hmm. A lot, And and most of us ended up staying here because it's not as easy to make money. It's not like we make money and leave. You know, we, we keep paying taxes here. We pay, so it's hard for us yeah, to leave ha- anymore. Yeah, I have
0: read how it used to be, to where it would be, I mean, obviously, I wasn't alive back then. Right. But I mean, well, I was born in '88. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but you know how? Yeah, people used to come over here to work, and then they they get some work done, and yeah. they go back to Mexico, and it just again yeah. and again and again and again. And then whenever the border started getting tight, then right. they had to like make the decision like of am bringing I gonna, their families, yeah, because have to they stay they here. it
1: wasn't gonna be as easy as going. So I think the more like the tougher they go into the border, I think it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Um. And especially, like, you know, that wall came in in 1996, and that's the other thing that I... And this is very important for me to say it politically, because it's all the time the presidents, the government's taking advantage of the of the people, and then at the end, the people is the one that get the blame. In 1996... In 1994, uh, Mexico, Canada, and United States signed the NAFTA. Um, NAFTA came to harm Mexico
0: mm-hmm. in a
1: big way, like... You know, like, um, the corn, for example. Uh, and if you notice here, in, uh, if we move a little bit into Kansas, people, like, immigrants in Kansas, were more from the north side. And that's where we used to, like, mm-hmm. you know, have beans and corn and farms and mm-hmm. stuff. And so when DAFTA comes into Mexico, they start um, getting the corn industry out of Mexico, and they bring their corn. Mm-hmm. And that really got a lot of people out of the, you know. And their, that's the
0: an interesting thing, because, like, I know that, like corn is like one of the biggest imports there mm-hmm. in Mexico, but then it used to be one of the biggest exports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then if you and if you go to Mexico, you know how much you know corn right. is eaten everywhere. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. Right. I, I love me some corn end.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and then also the shoe the shoe industry. Like we used to have really nice leather shoes back in the eighties, and with the NAFTA, all of that. You know, th- those companies went into bankruptcy. And people start immigrating, and 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 then the the money, the change, the coin change in Mexico. You know, they it was a huge, uh, I mean, it was a huge impact. So families, maybe a lot of people who are here right now that start moving in the '90s here, they come from ma- very small villages, small towns. They don't understand probably the whole history situation. They, all they knew is that. Suddenly, they didn't have enough food in the table and they had to move, you know, mm-hmm. they, and, and they had cousins here and they said, hey, you know, there's some work here just come mm-hmm. and work. And, and that was created by the political environment and by the government. Mm-hmm. So most people right now here in, in, in the United States, I can I can assure you that we came, most of us, not me, I came in 1998 when you were born, <laughs> but most of them came in, in the mid-90s. And it was because of the NAFTA.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So... After NAFTA passes, President Bill Clinton passes one of the most, like, the hardest immigration law in 1996. And I don't remember the name. It was I-R-R-A, something like that. But that's when they learned. They said, okay, wait a minute. You know, with what we did, a lot of people is going to start coming. And that's when they closed the borders. Mm -hmm. And there is a document that I read in Arizona where he says, let's close the borders except for the desert because they're going to die anyway. Mm. So they sentence us to die. And uh, because people were going to try to come anyways, you know, to put food on the
0: table. Yeah, because they knew how dire yeah. things were going to be. And then
1: they start punishing us. And now all the effects of all the deportations right now are because of that immigration law in 1996, where they start banning people for coming illegally or living illegally for like for one. If you live here with like for a year or less than a year, they ban you to come back. Like they deport you and they give you a ban for three years. Mm-hmm. And then if you're over a year in the U.S. illegally, then they give you a ban for ten years. That was my. That's that's what my husband had. You know, a, a ban for ten years to come back. So that's what's separating families right now. Mm-hmm. That's why right now a lot of American citizens cannot legalize their husbands or wives or their spouse
0: mm-hmm. because of that law in 1996. Mm-hmm. And that was and that was signed into to law by Bill Clinton. Yeah. A Democrat. Yes. Ooh.
1: So to me, honestly, um, as an activist, it's not about the party.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: just like like I said, it's a lot of political. Um, games, you mm-hmm. know, and we're just tired of it. Yeah. You know, even, I, I understand President Obama has done a lot for the country, but at the same time, he's the one with the most, I mean, he basically prepared the machine for Trump to do what he's doing right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you explain what you mean?
1: Yeah, uh, with the, uh, you know, Obama has been called the deporter in chief. Mm-hmm. So, he um, he promised an immigration reform. Everybody saying that he couldn't done it, but on his first term, he could ha- he, he he had more Democrats, mm-hmm. so he could push a little bit more for something mm-hmm. else, you know, and he was just deporting a lot of people,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's that that cre- that during his presidency, um, two uh, I don't remember the names of it, but there's two laws that came into effect in several states. Not, not it wasn't national, but it was in Kansas. It didn't happen. But it was something like um, security communities and... I don't remember the other one. I'm sorry. But it's where they were actually um, racial profiling. Mm-hmm. With It's basically what they've been trying to do here in Kansas, where um, police officers have to... Or, or law enforcement have to collaborate with immigration.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I that mean,
1: happens, like, in Georgia and Arizona and Nebraska, other states.
0: Yeah. And, and you know... I, I don't. I never would argue that the Democratic Party is perfect or anything. And I right. think it's important that we hold ourselves accountable and everything. And you know, being pretty new mm-hmm. to the party, you know, I, I think I'm I'm part of that camp that says that we need to do what we can to move ourselves in, the, in a right. in a better direction. You know, because I'm pretty dang progressive. Right. I don't I don't know. There's probably not much more people that are more progressive than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean. We get into the party and we do things like that. So it's my hope that you know, with things like what we're doing right, right now, that the Democratic Party can become more progressive. Because, I mean, historically you can go way back. Right. You know, I mean, Democrats have not always been right. Uh, progressive I mean, at all.
1: historically, I can tell you that Republicans have been doing more for the immigrant community. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at the same time, uh, what I'm saying, doing more is like giving, I don't know, an amnesty or giving. Uh, a little bit more of uh relief, but at the same time, usually when that happens uh something we win something and we lose something, you know, mm-hmm. like like for example, now that they wanna negotiate that okay, we can give DACA, but let's build the wall, you know we mm-hmm. always have to give something up, but um honestly, on my side, on my experience on this last four years. Democrats have been, like, the, the Democratic Party had been at least more open to listen. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen action, but mm-hmm. at least um, they have given me the opportunity to express myself, mm-hmm. you know, listen to me. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, I'm very thankful for those 30, over 30 congressmen who signed the letter for President Obama, mm-hmm. right? So I think, like, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of things that can improve, but I do have hope that... Like I said, again, in my case, I'm really not with the party, but I really believe in people like you, people, Mm -hmm. you know, like that I know that are really caring about moving this country forward. Mm -hmm.
0: So let's bring it down to Kansas. Mm -hmm. So what's going on in Kansas as far as, you know, immigrants grow and, um, you know, what what do we need to be knowing about?
1: Kansas is interesting. And I love it. And in my home. Uh, when I After the action, I, some people said, like, man, Claudia, because, you know, I will see my friends, my friend from California having, I mean, even his governor was, uh, her governor was supporting her. Mm-hmm. She went to California and got a 100% scholarship to become a lawyer. And he's now one of the undocumented immigration attorneys. I'm so proud of her um but she got all the support from her congressman governor my friend in chicago she also got a scholarship she was on the cover of a magazine the chicago one of the year and then they were like and you're going to kansas claudia why don't you just move to other place? you know something friendly when they can Mm -hmm. welcome this is my home and um there's a lot of things that need to change but at the same time people are nice here in kansas and People are w- warm and welcome. I think there's a lot of ignorance. I mm-hmm. think they we need to start becoming more uncomfortable in order to maybe someday become comfort- more comfortable. We need to start talking. I would love my fellow Americans to start talking more about us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And not talking about, you know, like what the media is saying, the illegal aliens are coming and getting older, all, all our... No, asking more questions to us. I mean, now we're everywhere. Like, you know, back in the 90s, it was like the North area, like the Norwichita area or just like certain places in Kansas. Um, I think now we're everywhere. Most of us have been here at least since the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, we're so used to here. This is our home. Most of our families are mixed status families, you know, where one is a U.S. citizen, another one is a DACA, the other one is undocumented. Mm-hmm. Just, I would like my fellow Americans to start asking questions. Where are mm-hmm. you from? You know, like learning more about us. Um,
0: Is there any good place where they can go to learn?
1: Talking to each other. Yeah. I think we need to start coming more into more. Well, common I'm, I'm areas. imagining
0: like you know, hopefully there's some you know Republicans that are listening to this and they're like, well, I want to know more, you know. Yeah. And, and maybe and or even some Democrats that are on on the fence as far as the immigration issue goes. Mm-hmm. And they want to know more, but they're maybe too shy to just go up to a right. you know an immigrant or like hey I know more about you. Yeah. So, are there any organizations or websites that that? Unfortunately. You direct them to?
1: Unfortunately, here in Kansas, uh, Latino community is not organized, and also I think it's just the geographic side of it because my friends uh, and again I'm bringing contrasting or comparing. My friends, for example, in Arizona, in California, they have Mexican-American studies. Mm-hmm. We, our Latino community in Kansas have lost, our young people have lost an identity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where We don't know our history. I mean, I've been trying to dig into, I learned that, you know, like, Mexicans came like to Wichita, to Kansas in the 1800s to work in the train and the railroads. But there's not much history about it.
0: Maybe that's something that because. And I was going to talk to you about mm-hmm. this, and and Annabelle about it, because mm-hmm. um, you know we have a Hispanic caucus in the Democratic Party, and, and Annabelle's a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it, honestly, the Hispanic caucus doesn't do very much, mm-hmm. and um, and that's I mean we're we're spread out all over the place. Um, you know the the chair of the of the caucus is. Um, You know, on the east side of Kansas. And then I'm the vice chair over here. And Mm -hmm. then it's just nothing really happened. So I was wanting to see if Annabelle and you and some other people could get together and make it more of something more meaningful. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think that that would be a really good focus for us to have as far as the caucus is just trying to pull together all that history. Right. That would be a really fun project.
1: I've been talking, honestly, on my side uh, to some teachers. Mm -hmm. And I was pointed just last week to a teacher who they told me he might know more I want to start being more in contact with him. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm trying to dig in. You know, I'm trying to come up with something, especially for next year elections. I'm really worried because we're going to listen a a lot about us Mm -hmm. with one of the candidates for governor.
0: Oh, yes.
1: And unfortunately, it's going to be just a lot of trash. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so that's one of the things that I'm digging in because, I mean, there's I know right now there's a lot of wonderful immigrant immigrant stories Mm -hmm. in Kansas. I want to know more about the past, you know, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who came in here before us in the 1800s, and I know they have contributed to the state. Yeah. And I believe that's why people in Kansas are nice to us. I mean, you know, like, like you say, there's people that might not understand. There's people that might not know. There's some people that don't like us. But honestly, and that's, I don't know if that's what my heart wants to believe, uh, I think it's because they don't know who we are. Uh-huh. I don't think it's because they're evil or because they're racist. Uh-huh. They just don't know, you know, and that's not nice, you know. I'm, I'm not, like, excusing them. But I think if we can work more, like, going back to the question they say, what do we need to do in Kansas? I think we need to be more open-minded. I need to be more, um, start sharing more spaces and, uh, and start talking a little bit more. And I know it's uncomfortable. Because I've seen it, like, I seen, I, I, I grew up here. Uh, for me, it's very easy to navigate with American people only or with Latinos only. You mm. know, very easy. But I can see that uncomfortable part on both of them. Because, like, I've been going to, like, American restaurants or Mexican restaurants where there's more Americans with, uh, with Latino friends. Mm. And they're like, oh, no, I'm leaving. I don't feel comfortable. They're looking at us in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I I I don't feel that. And then, you know, with the Americans, friends, sometimes it's like, hey, let's go get an ice cream in the north side, and uh, isn't that dangerous? You know, so we we feel uncomfortable in places Mm -hmm. just because—or I had friends asking me, like, hey, I love this panaderia, this bakery, but— I want to ask you a question. Do you think they get offended? Because sometimes I go there and the people look at me, you know. So everybody thinks, like, people look at each other weird mm-hmm. just because we're not used to share spaces. Yeah. So let's start sharing those spaces. Let's start pushing a little bit more. Let's start observing. Let's start asking. Ask our neighbors. Sometimes we have a neighbor who's been there 10 years and I know that they don't speak a lot of English. But we can manage a conversation, mm-hmm. you know. Or or the opposite way. I, I, I When I talk to the Latinos, I always tell them the same thing, you know, just join boards, get to the your neighborhood uh, association and stuff like
0: that. Yeah, go to where you're, maybe you don't feel so comfortable. Right. And, and, and get but, comfortable. But later, I
1: mean, I've been everywhere, and, and I can assure you, I mean, I'm, I might not remember right now an example, but I can assure you that the first time I felt uncomfortable, and then, you know, now I felt comfortable.
0: I mean, getting involved with the party, for me, it was, it was pretty uncomfortable. Right. Like, Robert's Rules of Order and stuff right. like that, like, that was the first time I had ever really experienced that and trying to get the grips on what that was. And but
1: that's how you cross bo- those borders. you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. The, even maybe you being a teacher, you know, I, re- I, I was a teacher. I remember the first day you're going to teach. <laughs> you're so afraid. I mean... Everything that big that you're going to be doing in life is going to make you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But you do it because you have an interest or you have a purpose. Or you. let's just have a purpose as knowing each other and who's building Kansas because all of us together are building Kansas.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So last thing, focusing it here on it's like Cedric County. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing? Uh, what do you got planned? How can people get involved here specifically?
1: My leadership is really more like giving the the power back to people. So um, I'm not doing, like, a lot of meetings and stuff like that. I really want to focus, especially, like I told you, my concern on voting, mm-hmm. um, voting registration. Um, I want to focus on Latinos. Last year we were able to register at least uh, 200 uh, new citizens. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I'm really excited because one of the things, uh, when I've been invited to the Democratic Party and speak about my story and stuff, I usually talk to, or when I go to Topeka to um, talk about a bill or, um, I don't know, do my testimonial, give my testimonial, I usually tell them, I said, you know, everybody or almost everybody knows that I'm undocumented. And they know that I cannot vote. And one of the conversations that we've had is, People, um, like a lot of the legislators, they really don't care about people who don't vote. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why our community has been very on the side, very quiet. And one of the things that I tell them is, like, just because I'm undocumented doesn't mean that you're not going to listen to me. Because I'm going to make sure that at least 10 people vote on Mm -hmm. my behalf. And I'm going to make sure that my son his friends, my nieces, their generation, don't forget what you're doing to my community right now. You know, and I'm not just talking about attacking my community, but also ignoring my community. Mm -hmm. You know, people who are not doing anything about us, and they don't care about us. So I said that the first time four years ago. And I just feel so proud because in January, my son is turning 18. (laughs) he's going to be able to vote next year. And so my promise is coming into reality. And then the other way I'm making that promise um, stand for a long time is I created this campaign that is called Kansas Adopt a Citizen, Mm -hmm. which I'm mobilizing the undocumented people to adopt a citizen that they know it can be their kid, their wife, their comadre, their neighbor, that they maybe are not used to vote, Mm -hmm. and they can actually move them into vote.
0: And you did this in the last election, too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that go? Do you have any numbers on how many we ended up?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I, I told you. We we ended up uh, registering like 200 people. Oh, okay, so, yeah.
0: so that was two, that was with that program? Yeah, with the program. Okay, gotcha.
1: Yeah, because a lot of moms were like, we were talking about the problems in Kansas. And I created a page because so one of the concerns, I, I start registering first, I start helping a friend. And then um, the Latinos that were coming, they were like, they were really worried about the national elections last year. So they were like, well, only the Federals are important, right? Mm. And I'm like, no. And they're <laughs> like, but we don't know anything about local. We don't know. I'm like, okay. So I started that group, the Kansas Adopt-A-Citizen, where I was starting to share local po- uh, po- political uh, news and then just making a small uh, caption in Spanish mm-hmm. and encouraging people to read it. Like, you know, they start with the caption, they were getting interested, and then just sit down with their kids who spoke English and read the whole article if they want it. And people start getting interest uh, on it, and they're like, well, my son is turning 18. I said, okay, we'll take him. You yeah. know, this day <laughs> we're going to be registering. Mm-hmm. And that's how we start registering people and getting people more interested. And now I have... A lot of people asking me, what's next, Claudia? They're getting yeah. ready. They're learning more about next year elections. They, uh, they're a little bit more aware than last year.
0: So, again, here in Cedric County, like I feel like you have uh, more of an ear on the ground as far as what's going on. Like, what are some of the issues that are going on in these communities?
1: It's really tough right now because, uh, and people know me. I'm really honest when I talk, but... Uh, the federal government uh, hasn't been able to implement the deportation machine as they wanted mm-hmm. to. So you know how they've been trying in the states, like in Kansas, in January, February. Um, Secretary of State Chris Kovac tried to introduce a bill um, with a very high racial profile profiling, where they wanted a, uh, law enforcement to. Um, work together with immigration and they, um, the bill didn't succeed, it died um, so now what's happening is the federal government is trying to push local uh, entities and in this case, Sedwood County so what's happening right now is that the federal government took away some of the funding from the sheriff department in Sedwood County mm-hmm. and the sheriff department is not collaborating with immigration mm. as a result of that and that's something that can be proved. I know a lot of people don't talk about this. I know a lot of people are gonna make faces because I'm saying this, but it's happening mm-hmm. It's happening now uh, every single uh person that it's stopped just by a traffic infraction by the sheriff department. i haven't heard anything about the Wichita Police Department. I think they're just doing their work. you know mm-hmm. how they used to be that they they're they supposed to do it but I've heard it from the sheriff department they are uh Turning people in for traffic infractions into immigration, mm-hmm. and that's something to worry about.
0: Okay, so I mean, obviously, I, I uh, I've have he- heard some of those things too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that people have uh, been pulled over just for yeah for simple traffic mm-hmm. traffic infractions and getting uh, turned into immigration. Um, so, I mean, I I know that there have like been some people that have been advocating for getting people out of like the. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what do we, what do we call it here as far as, is it detention center here? Where do they,
1: here in Kansas, we don't have detention centers. They just go to the county jails. The
0: county jails. Okay. Because I, I mean, I had recently saw like maybe a month ago. Um, some people advocating to kids. yeah yeah and it, were you there too?
1: No no, but I heard about that case. And usually the process is like they don't go directly. Like she didn't even go to jail, I think, because what the process is, we have a deten- like a detention processing center here in Wichita. Uh, and what happens is that um, so by law the sheriff's department should like they have to wait forty eight hours, um, like. If in 48 hours immigration, they don't come and get them, mm-hmm. then they have to release them. Oh, okay. And what's happening right now is I can see an increase in communication between the sheriff's department and immigration because before uh, people were released because of that. And now it seems like immigration is pretty well informed and they just go and pick them up. Mm-hmm. Then they, they bring in and process them, and then from then they send them to jail, to county jails. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, right now, like, the The way it should be, and I think it's, it's it's the way it's been happening here in Kansas is if they don't have a criminal record, they uh have a right to see a judge mm-hmm. so they 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 don't they're not deported right away, they have a right to see a judge, so what's happening is that they let him out um and then they gave him a court date mm-hmm. and that's i I think that's what happened to this
0: case oh, okay mm-hmm. okay, and so then. And then, under what grounds does the judge decide whether or not they can stay? Most
1: of the laws in immigration are uh, discretional. so it's even up even to the judge, after e- e- the judge, so again,
0: and, why elections matter? Yeah. yeah,
1: and and that's why we talk about the. Uh, I mean, I know it sounds like everybody talks about it, but it's a broken immigration system mm-hmm. because the laws are not in, in place. I mean, like there, um, there's they can be people that are been hardworking for many years here and they get deported just because the judge wanted or because they immigr the even the the immig- uh, immigration officers have discretion into what they do mm-hmm. into if they let you out and just give you a court date or if they detain you and take you to jail
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it's it's very unfair it's a very mm-hmm. unfair system because it's, it's very
0: th- open to right human bias and, right um, especially here in kansas i imagine there's a lot more unfair tra- treatment than what they might be getting in place like California or something yeah. like that. Well, um I guess I'd like to say thank you. I've already got you here for almost an hour now. <laughs> <laughs> um are there any last thing you'd like to say to anybody out there?
1: Well, let's come together. Let's rock the next year elections.
0: Yeah, next year elections going to be yeah. fun. It's going to be hectic.
1: Well, the, I mean, I start voting this year. I know there's um school board yep, elections definitely. and um council city members in Wichita, I don't know, in Derby, but... Um, so let's get out and vote. Yeah, we got a lot vote. of
0: local elections. Yeah. November 7th, I believe. I'm going to... Uh, if I'm wrong on this, I'm going to, like, edit this, but I <laughs> think the, the deadline to register to vote... I mean, yeah, is the uh, 17th okay. of October, I think, I, okay. I believe. Um, but yeah, so definitely get out there and vote. Uh, thank you for coming out here, Claudia. You're welcome. I'm going to have you back because... When we figure out this whole um, Hispanic caucus and, the, you know, figuring out the, the history of immigrants here.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, and we're going to talk about into that. It, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, again, thank you for, for coming on. You're welcome. So that was great. I'm super glad that we got to have her on here. And, you know, I'd like to say that, you know, if, if you may not know this about me, but I'm a fourth-generation American um, my family's been here a while so I, I know that the color of my skin and the, the sound of my last name might deceive you um, but when it comes to these issues there's a lot that I don't know and I'm really glad that I had her on here so that way you know I could know I could learn some more stuff um, but I'm, 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 I thank you guys for joining me today again we will have another episode out as soon as we can um, this has been the blue island podcast brought to you by the cedric county democratic party and if you're still listening stop get out there go do something till next time this podcast is paid for by the cedric county democratic party therese johnson chair jeff wicks treasurer